0: Luca, Fresh! There you are. (laughs) Hey, I'm sorry, man. You know my sense of timing, especially when I'm in a certain state of condition. It's all over the place, but I appreciate you being on. So... Yeah, uh, I was just on. I was just finishing up talking with Billy. Ah. Billy B., one of our favorite people in the world, and uh, coincidentally, pretty much the same... Uh, Adoration I have for Billy, we have a special guest that we'll just call Puka Fresh, for the sake of this podcast. I'm, you know, a lot of our listeners will probably figure out who it is, but uh, that's uh, thanks to a loyal following. But uh, kind of an impromptu session about 9:30 p.m. on a Friday somewhere in California. Puka Fresh is driving; he had the time, and uh, we're about to end April and start May first. On a completely wacky note, so tell us a little bit about yourself, or what you're willing to tell us about yourself, Puka Fresh. where did you grow up? In a nutshell, and what are you doing now? Um, well, I grew
1: up grew up in uh, Almaden, San Jose, and uh, I uh, yeah went went to went to school at West Valley College, where I met you. Uh, Catholic school, raised did a little wandering after that got a literature degree at uh santa clara or at uh santa cruz and uh went and walked the earth a little worked with trouble teens as a field guide uh worked in the public school system as a sub teacher and then uh finally finally made my way into uh working in the fire service and uh that's what i that's what i currently do and uh that's what i got for you mikey
0: (laughs) so you are a firefighter thank you for your service and i know your schedule is wacky right now um what is your because i i would argue just because you know i I, I have a lot of friends in the in the civil servant industry and, and everybody's out there i would say that you guys have it tough because people think that you're only called for fires did you explain to the crowd what exactly you do from a day-to-day basis and what what you would be called to do on a you know let's say a, a typical day or a week
1: yeah yeah we uh, we get called to everything so if it doesn't fit into the police category it usually falls into what they would call all risk so anything from a bad smoke detector to um People call us for, you wouldn't believe the cat in the tree type calls that we get. Um, but we'll, we'll respond to, uh, any, anything home related, if it's structural, uh, problems with the home, car accidents, um, and then the majority of what we respond to is medical issues. So, uh, majority of your fire departments out there, they're going to be, uh, paramedic equipped if, if it's, if it's in California. So any, anytime you dial 911, you usually have a, a, a multi-tiered response to that. So you're gonna get your local fire department because they're gonna be positioned uh, close enough to you to get there within a within a 10 minute window. And then uh, usually you have you have an ambulance system layered on top of that that also dispatches an ambulance that way. It's just the ambulances are a lot further apart. So um, we, we basically initiate the medical care and then, and then hand that medical care off to a um, another paramedic on an ambulance and then they'll they'll ride them in the hospital sometimes we'll even stay with them and go into the hospital but um, yeah we do wildland fire structural fire um, leak calls flood calls fire alarms uh, medical uh, you name it we're going we go if someone falls out of their chair and they're having trouble getting up into it we'll we'll go out at 3 a.m in the morning and help them get back into their chair so they can get the remote back in their hands Keep watching the TV. I mean, you know, we we do we do pretty much everything.
0: You know what's interesting about that, and and I and I already know this. I would argue right now, especially coming out of the pandemic, and everybody's still being a little bit uh, squeamish, if you will, about coming out into the world. A lot, you know, I, I've seen a lot of people starting to live again, and the masks are coming off. Everybody's getting vaccinated. Well, not everybody, but you know, I think we're a proponent of that as well. So, assuming everything goes well. People don't realize the firefighters of all—they're kind of uh, stuck in the middle, aren't they? I mean, you're kind of part of a county, you're part of a bigger, bigger area, and let's just assume that it's somewhere in California. You don't have to name the agency, but uh, I know you speak very—you <laughs> speak wholly as a professional in that field, and I think you know—you uh, know a lot of our audience members would agree that you know I do have an expert, so to speak. What's going through your guys' head? Are you guys doing okay psyche wise? Because you guys are covering Okay, if you're if you're a paramedic, why are you a firefighter? Wait a minute, then why do we have paramedics? You see what I'm saying? And if you're the first on scene and you hear, you know, a baby screaming and a murder taking place, it's not like you're gonna go, Well, let's just wait till the cops get here. So you guys are stretched mentally, you're stretched beyond kind of your let's say normal scope of responsibilities. Is it for you specifically and maybe your team? Could you speak to the fact that coming out of COVID, what the psyche is for those first responders? And uh, how do you compartmentalize not, you know, losing it?
1: I don't know. I don't know that we, uh, I don't know that people compartmentalize it. like Like PTSD is definitely a hot button issue in the profession right now. So for us, for us, we're, um, we we deal with on a regular basis, you know, seeing seeing probably like nasty, bad things, right? You see sick old people who are, um, who are at the end stages of their life, or they're in, a lot of them are in homes. And a lot of the homes that people are in um, are unfortunately not, not the best kept. So um, we go in and see a lot of like, later stage problems and then at the, at the younger stages, you know, you see people who either rather have congenital issues at a young age or, um, you know, where they're young and they haven't, they haven't necessarily earned the bad things happening to them. Uh, so those are hard things to deal with. And then you, you deal with, you know, the physical traumas that, that we inflict upon ourselves is just humanity, you know, where there's cars, and accidents or, a, you know, a, a vehicle comes in contact with a bicycle crossing a crosswalk. Um, you see a lot of stuff that I think, yeah, it does have a taxing end of it, and then you layer on top of that, um, you know, a pandemic where, uh, you know, at the beginning stages of this, no one really had a good grasp of what was going on, um, and we, I, I would say this was a lot more, you know, from from the time in my career when I first started in the service, I was um, I was around for the Ebola scare when. Uh, we had, we had like the first patient actually hit, uh, U.S. soil, but it was in a very controlled manner. But Ebola was like a big concern and the CDC was like way, way ahead of it. Um, where, you know, before even there was anything in the news, we were getting these, uh, these, you know, responder, uh, kits where it had, you know, everything we would need for our personal protective equipment to like enter into a call that might be Ebola related. Um, whereas when COVID hit, even though they had all the information, they knew all the things we would need for like our personal protective equipment, all of those things, there was very little information being disseminated. And it was, uh, we were kind of flying blind. So I, I think over the last year, it's been probably tremendously stressful for some. And then for others, I think they've just kind of gone to the other end of, uh, I don't know, when you work in when you work in a, in a high-risk job, a lot of the mentality of, uh, being stressed or worried it, it um, it's somewhat it's somewhat not as big of a deal to you because you've already been risking yourself you know we, we do go into we've been going into rooms where someone has the flu we've been going in where where someone you know could potentially uh, cough in your face you know and you might not have the exact you know protective equipment on in that moment um you know so i i
0: don't know it's a uh, your protective equipment. Yeah, on a side think, note, on a side note, your protective equipment is it what we picture as an audience? Your typical firefighter equipment with your 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 helmet and your yeah, yeah kind of the yellow um, uh, rubbery leather stuff. Protective equipment. Can you elaborate on that? Oh yeah, well, you, well, if you're you're talking about different things, right? So we go into you know if I go
1: into a fire call, it's um, a house house on fire. Um, I put on. I put on like a three-layer coat, a three-layer pair of pants, and then I have special boots that don't conduct electricity, and they're also thermally layered and have vapor layers in them. Gloves, and then uh, we'll put a hood on over a mask that's attached to basically a, a scuba setup that we throw on our back, so we're breathing compressed air. And then we can go into like a, a smoke environment or a higher temp environment, and we're able to we're able to sit in that environment a little more. Uh, a little little easier and be be relaxed and be able to kind of you know navigate towards like the seat of a fire with a hose line or go through a smoky room and try and find a down body in it We're we're able to like be a little more calm in that that's protective equipment for like fire if you go on like uh like i went on a car fire the other day um someone took a uh, car into a pole and blew it up right um so i got out of the rig and i had all of those things on put my air on um, and then I also have like reflective material on me when I'm on car fires. I have to take that off. But if I'm on a car accident that's not on fire, I have to keep that reflective vest on kind of like you see on Caltrans, uh, workers. But you layer into that same call, you had two people that were medical need. So someone's got to get out and fight the fire. And then you also have to get someone over to provide the medical, you know, attention that people need for managing an airway on someone uh to like getting him onto a backboard to you know getting him to the ambulances that are coming and all those things. So um, I mean there's a there's a lot of layers there. If you're on a medical call you have to make sure that you have medical grade equipment on. So a minimum you have eye protection. Um over the last year it's been mandatory that we have N ninety five respiratory protection on that's sealed. So it has to be a specific specific respirator. Um and then uh we also have gowns now, if, it, if it's unknown and we don't know anything about the COVID side of it, so if it's hitting any kind of remote near symptoms of COVID, we have to put a full gown on as well. So and then we have to you know decon afterwards. So that that kind of gives you a good idea of the different the different uniforms we wear. wear. And then uh, and then on top of that, we have uh, wildland fire events. So I have a whole bag of of um, you know hiking boots that are that are. Uh, you know, fire protection rated. I have a pair of pants that are dual layer that I can, you know, go and, and rake up or, or cut fire line next to flame lengths and not worry about getting burned. It's a shirt that I have to wear that's long sleeve, gloves, helmet, a face mask thing that goes on, and eye protection. So, I, you know, you have, you have a, lot of, a lot of stuff that we have to carry and a lot of things we have to put on in the right situation. Does that, does that make sense on the PPE?
0: Absolutely. Wow, and that's so vast. It's crazy to just, you know, when you think about the layers and the protective equipment and everything that goes into it, it's almost like you're switching wardrobes on the dime, especially on a busy weekend. Uh, You know, I think we were speaking briefly about, let's say, uh, in particular, last weekend was particularly busy for you because you're in a very metropolitan area with a lot of calls coming in. I get the equipment part, but do you really have the time to change wardrobe? Is it almost like, okay, we're going... Almost like a like a theatrical background. You go, okay, we're going into another scene. We have to switch this particular wardrobe to protect ourselves for this particular event that's coming up. Is it is it more visceral, or do you actually have to keep a good head on your shoulders to make sure all those events happen simultaneously for the right event? Oh yeah, I mean you got to you got
1: to be paying attention and uh, listening to the call that's going out, and then a lot of times it's just you have to take a beat when you get to where you're going so you know a good example of that is that we rolled up and my captain was up in the front he he didn't have a direction for me until we kind of rounded a corner and got to see exactly what we were looking at you know um, a car on fire in the middle of an intersection isn't isn't a big deal um, if there's two people that need medical needs if you have two people that need medical needs and they're a short distance from a car that's on fire that's had a fuel tank rupture on it and now the gasoline's kind of burning on the road and leaking towards them and it's also burning up a large you know light bulb and stuff's melting off of that uh you know it's a different decision making process for him of like okay well we need to get that fire out immediately because it doesn't matter that those people are hurt. If we go over and help them, and we don't get that fire out, that pole could fall on us. We could have that fuel go towards us. So it's, you know, it's all decision. It's all it's all moment-to-moment decision made, making, and um, and unfortunately, that decision making is also complex. So it's like you know you have to make those decisions based on 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 the information at hand, right? And a lot of times, I think the crux of like what we do in terms of a job is we make decisions. And then sometimes they're not the not the perfect decision. It was just a decision, <laughs> so it you know it makes it makes it even uh, makes it even even harder. And you talk about like the physical stresses or the, or the mental stresses on it. Um, th- those weigh much much heavier than the physical side of the job. Um,
0: and that's what I was kind down. of. I was thinking, you know, while you're talking about all these protective layers and then the protective equipment, you know, the visceral stuff to me has got to be the mental state, right? It, the physical part, let's face it, I, we talked earlier, we get it. You are the most, out of our group of friends, you are definitely the most physically fit person I, I know. And uh, maybe Reed, uh, good old Reed Nelson might be a close second, I'm not sure. But but the bottom line is I know you got to be physically fit, I get that part but uh, what about the mental side because like you said you make good decisions, sometimes they're not always perfect now obviously they're not going to be hopefully poor decisions that would lead you you know uh, not just to your job but to a social injustice of some sort so to me your job is what 80-20 to me the mental part of it is far more valuable and more uh, I would say strenuous would you agree than the physical part of it
1: yeah, yeah for sure for sure i think that's the that's the thing that uh after having done it for like 11 years that that's the that's the aspect that i think keeps you in terms of longevity in the career and functional in the career if you can kind of dial in how to emotionally deal with stuff and it's not compartmentalize or box it it's actually more um, how do you how do you deal with it and constantly Keep it present that you're, you know, you you can go a couple of different ways. And if I look at like the the tides of my career and what I've done from like the start of it to now, um, you know, a year and a half, two years in, you you kind of do a self-protective thing of like, like, okay, I've seen this, I've done this, and then you, and then you no longer like on a on a call that that is hard to look at. So say like a gnarly suicide or um, or a young a young kid, you know, run over by a car, you know, those, those are the things that that really aren't, they're unique events and each one is one and you have to like acknowledge the, the life lost or the, um, or the tragedy of what you're looking at. Um, and you go through phases in your career where you're, you maybe bury that or you just don't even give any credence to it. You just, it's just another call. Um, which I, like, when I was doing that, I think that was probably the most unhealthy I was in my job. Um, whereas now it's, now it's, you know, really looking at things as they are in each moment to moment and accepting that, like, yeah, that will affect me, you know, uh, being honest about that, going to therapy. Like, I've been to therapists over the last, like, uh, three to five years and it's been healthy, it's been a healthy experience and it hasn't been because I was, like, falling apart, it's actually been more... Like, hey, maybe I should do this. Uh, the profession itself has become very open to it and encouraging for it. They want you to go, almost like taking a vitamin as opposed to, you know, taking a a, a painkiller when the pain hits. Um, Amen.
0: Amen so for I, therapy. I, I,
1: well, I, I, yeah, I think I, I mean, having having sat and done therapy, I, I would I would promote it for anyone at, at any stage in their life. An outside, it's just an outside of server who have no interest in in guiding or pushing you in any direction it's just someone who's going to listen and give you an honest like un untainted or un, uh, unfiltered sounding board and they're going to they're going to give you r- r- realistic information that'll that'll be positively presented to you it's like they give you information it's not like you go to therapy and they tell you you're an idiot they go there and they say hey you're I'm noticing these things need, these are some exercises you can do to maybe get more in touch with that of how you're feeling about that and then all of a sudden you find something on your own through the guidance that they give you and it's um super helpful so I, yeah i would say i would say that's a, a big component of it in terms of the mental side of it um and then just realizing that like the world's the world can be a really harsh place and it can also be a really beautiful place and i would say i go. I go on a 48 hour shift and in that shift, I'll be able to go and help someone who, you know, fell out of their chair. And they're just a nice older person that needed help. And I got to be that person to help them. Um, sometimes I get to be the, you know, on the paramedic side, I get to like administer some medicine and and get to see in that moment, like I get to be the, the instrument that saves their life, you know, that brings the breath back. Um, those are those are really important things to grab onto. So when you go to the call where you, you know, you show up and there's a 17 year old girl that um, is not, she's not breathing. You got to breathe for her, and you're looking at it like, man, there's a good chance this girl dies. And seeing that it all could have been prevented, you know, and then, you know, dealing with that and just realizing that, you know, life's not fair. <laughs> it's it's uh, it is what it is on on some levels and. You gotta find the positives in that in that pile because if you focus on
0: the negative, it's really easy. So that's Amen. Or amen, brother. I couldn't have said it any better. It's like a I mean you you ex- exemplified what I would call exactly why I think people like yourself choose to become a firefighter, in that it's not a label, right? It's not a title. It's it's more of a leader of your own destiny and helping your direct community, and you know how much I love community. You are you are serving uh, not only God. We could get spiritual if you like, but you're serving a greater purpose, right? We all know that the greatest calling of mankind is to be a service to others. But like you talk about, I'm visualizing all these connections you're making with the community directly by helping somebody even uh, that has no hope, or who do they call? And you're you're that smiling face helping them into their wheelchair. Could you imagine even being that age and not having anyone? Like who do you, who do you turn to when you have nobody? So, to me, I think for you, would you agree or disagree? Because I want to get into the, the how you decided to become a firefighter of all the things you could have done, whether it was a paramedic or any kind of specific occupation. But would you agree, is it was kind of a greater calling, right? You wanted that connection. Like, even if it was a cat in a tree, I don't even know if that's just the movies or you would actually uh, call to that. Isn't that rewarding, right? Helping your community and and not necessarily... Uh, and I don't want to get into the police factor, but, you know, the, the, the stigma, you know, the police in general, it's almost like the firefighters... To me, is more of a welcoming sight than than a than a, than, than a cop right now. Would you agree? Well, I, yeah, I, that depends on that depends on probably the person who
1: who called. Uh, you know, I, I I mean, I go to work I go to work every day and show up on calls. And, um, I work side by side, um, you know, peace officers, and they're they're you know they do amazing work. And no, I see them valued. Uh, more often than not on, on almost every call I'm on, um, and, and, things. And I think that's important. Uh, and, and I, 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 think it is a joke, like between police and fire of like, you know, it's everyone's happy to see you and then they're not happy to see us. But I, I think it's a little more layered than that. Um, it's when you dial 911 and you feel unsafe and it's because someone's breaking into your house or, um, you're you feel threatened there's one person you want to see that's that's a police officer um so I, they don't want to see me if i roll in i'm not going to roll in we just sit and wait until the police officer clears the scene and makes them say so i mean in that aspect we we have it we have it a lot easier but yeah i think like the stigma the stigma and the job i have i i don't often the only the only I, the only negative experiences i can think of is um I've been in the grocery store before, um, and most most departments have this policy. You don't like you don't just get in the fire engine and drive to the grocery store. Um, you go to the you go to the grocery store on the way back from doing something. It's not a specific trip, and the reason why you do that is because um, when I show up to work and I clock in, I'm 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 serving the public and I'm serving as a steward of not only the public's trust but also their their tax dollars. So. What, the only negative thing I've had is when we have that when we have that tax dollar conversation um and I've been in I have been in the store where I've got like a basket full of uh full of food uh, that we're doing like a crew dinner for that we're all throwing our money in and buying and um and I've had people walk up to me and say you know what am I buying you for dinner tonight you know and it's kind of like oh you know you, you try and you try and just handle it, you know, professionally and, and nice, but you know they're they're kind of jabbing you and being um, they kind of you know they're being uh, antagonistic to, to try and get a rise out of you, and it's because of I, I don't know whatever their their views are that like maybe I'm paid too much or uh, they think they think that I don't pay for anything that I do when I go to work, which is quite opposite from the fact. Like I mean, we pay for everything in our firehouse from the newspaper that sits on there to the, the cable bill, to the phone bill, to the, you know, the condiments that sit in the, in the cupboard, and That's because, that's because of that, that, um, that feeling of like taking care of the, the community and their tax dollars. But I, I don't really have, like, when I look for like negative experiences, I think it's probably pretty true that like the, the police officers definitely have uh, more of a, more of a negative, uh, View from the public, and that, that that is a little harder. I think on our side, we're a little more um, a little more welcome to proceed on situations. But I mean, I've had plenty of people spit at me. Um, I've had plenty of people like be very
0: unhappy to see me along with everyone else who's on my engine. So, so why, so why do it? And then that's you know, I I don't want to you know my schizophrenic brain jumps. So kind of a little bit back to what I was saying earlier. What made you want to do it, Puka Fresh? Like, I know uh, for those that you know, you kind of grew up a little bit of a granola head. Uh, You had your tree-hugging phase. You had your, you know, I'm only going to wear Birkenstocks phase. I'm not going to get a haircut phase. And God bless you for it. Because to me, that was almost like the true Santa Cruz spirit. Uh, You know, I love Santa Cruz in general. So, like, that whole phase was like, Amen, brother. But then all of a sudden, nobody really knew what you wanted to do. You almost took, like, a sales job. I think, I don't know if that was something that your family wanted you to move towards. I think you tried it for, like, a week or something, you said, and you didn't like it. You didn't like the Yeah. So how did you make that transition? What was your aha moment? I hate to use that phrase, but I did anyway. What was your moment? Your light bulb went off where you're like, you know what? This is what I want to do. Well, I had, I had, uh... I had a lit degree. I taught of teens out in the
1: wilderness. I like teaching, so I was trying teaching. I didn't enjoy that. I managed a, a peeped coffee. I did, uh, I sold title insurance. I mean, I did, I did a bunch of different jobs, right? I delivered FedEx packages. I had all that, all that stuff in my history, but, uh, I think it was, uh, I was going to get a teaching credential and go into teaching and I just really wasn't excited or happy about it. And, um I was in traffic, I was down in Southern California, and I was driving, I was driving home, and I was just so unhappy with everything that was going on in my life, that um, I got back, I was staying at, I was staying at uh, my brother's house, so my commute was like an hour and a half, two hours that day, in traffic, and, um, and I got back, and they weren't, they weren't home from work yet, and. I looked at what I was doing, and I decided to just throw some stuff in my car and go backpacking. And I uh, went up the Eastern Sierra, ended up in in uh, in, in Tahoe, and uh, and just decided to to not not teach and not do anything that I wasn't totally excited about. And I took some reflection time and, and went back to one of the things that I. Really was excited about that was when I took a wilderness first responder class and it was medical based and you do patient assessments and I um, I really enjoyed that and I did a little bit of that out in the wilderness and um, it was something I wanted to pursue then and I didn't uh, I didn't feel like I was good enough to do it at the time um, so maybe it was like an esteem thing but uh, I decided to I decided to pursue it at that point I, I said I want to be a paramedic. Um, so I took an EMT class and got my EMT, and then uh, started working towards my paramedic, but there was a fire academy there, and when I was 18, I wanted to be a firefighter. Uh, there was, you know, I had a grandfather and a great, I had a great-great-grandfather and a, a great-great-great-grandfather. They were they were firefighters uh, in San Francisco. Um, so it was always in the back of my head, like of something that was in the family, and. My grandfather was a sheriff, my dad was probation, so it was always, you know, public service was like kind of in our family and stuff, so, um, yeah, I took, I decided to throw my hat in the ring for a fire academy and got into the fire academy. It was a lottery system, and from there it kind of just all laid itself out. I went to paramedic school, worked, uh, worked on a wildland fire crew, and, um, it really, really just kind of mapped itself at that point. Um, but it really came from a, it stemmed from wanting to be, wanting to be a paramedic. And as a paramedic, I, uh, I think my main drive was to at least go to work and know that, like at the end of the day, I would make some kind of difference. I think was the, the hope. And I would say that rang through
0: with what I've done since. Amen, brother. Let's take out on a lighter note for a quick second. I know some of my listeners are going to want to know this. Um, I'm going to name ten movies that are firefighter-based. Some are very popular Hollywood-based movies about firefighting. I just want to know from a scale of one to ten, one being garbage, to ten being the exemplifying movie that maybe portrayed firefighting or your own personal entertainment whatever there's no there's no uh, particular i'm keeping it very broad just give me a number and the first do you understand what i'm saying puka fresh, puka puka, fresh. sorry you cut out there what you understand what i was saying you ready
1: yeah yeah All right. 10 being 10 being the best zero being
0: the worst yep Okay, there was a movie in 2017 called Only the Brave. It was a movie uh, based on the true events about Granite Mountain hotshots, a group of firefighters who put themselves in immense danger to protect their town from a historic wildfire. The movie starred Josh Brolin and Demi Moore. Do you remember this movie? It was action-packed. It pulled at your heartstrings. Do you remember this movie? I did, yeah. I saw that movie. It's called Only the Brave. Scale of 1 to 10... Without any particular uh, answer, just the number, please. What would you give that movie? I'll give it a seven. Seven, okay. We can come back to that. All right, the next one our listeners would like to know there was a movie in 2004 called Ladder 49, and it was about the American disaster. Uh, following Baltimore Fire Captain Mike Kennedy, played by John Travolta, and Firefighter Jay Russell, played by Joaquin Phoenix. Memories of their firefighters' past. The plot builds up by Jay getting stuck in a burning builder and his team struggling to rescue him. If you've ever watched a Joaquin Phoenix movie, it's it's just... It's kind of like his quintessential, magnificent acting humor, and that's, for me, it's his quintessential movie. So it was called Ladder 49 from 2004. Do you remember this movie, Book of Fresh?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would give it, I would give it,
0: it was a solid 8. Nice! Okay, we'll come back to why this was an eight over the other one, but for now let's move on to a movie. I don't remember seeing this one, um, and shame on me. It was a very popular South Korean movie called The Tower, and it came out in 2012. And it's basically the revolves around the fact that the you know firefighting is a necessity. Um, obviously all throughout the world, but in this particular area, the tower is a massive fire that breaks out in a luxury skyscraper on Christmas Eve. Sound familiar? Possibly, but if you're okay with subtitles. What's that? Never saw. Okay. I haven't (laughs) either, but that is like, it's cool to get this random email and they're, you know, um, all right. My favorite, because I don't know any better, is a movie in 1991 called Backdraft. And this movie, everybody knows, if you search it, it's, it's the one that made people want to be firemen. And a lot of people have actually said that. And the movie follows a crew of Chicago firemen chasing the trail of a serial arsonist. The thriller had an all-star crew. I mean, we're talking Kurt Russell. William Baldwin. Donald Sutherland, and Robert De Niro. These actors went out on calls with real Chicago firefighters before filming started so they could get a real sense of what it was like to be on the job. I'm not going to lie, this is one of my favorites. I saw this in the movie theater, in the Century Movie Theaters in the South Bay. This movie's called Backdraft. In 1991. Puka Fresh, are you familiar with this film? Yes. And the rating is... (laughs) It's ten. Agreed. You know what? Let, <laughs> it? okay. Let's talk about. We, or I want to go back to why one was a seven, one was an eight. In your opinion, uh, because the other ones. I don't really.
1: I, I, yeah, and I don't. I don't think you have any other films that I'm even gonna know. Uh yeah. Unless I'm forgetting what Unless you go to. Unless you're gonna bring up like Backdraft Two or something.
0: No. Somebody sent me World Trade Center. <laughs> The Towering Inferno, which is a classic, even you know, before any one of our times, I think. But, um, yeah, maybe not that many, like, Oscar-winning performances based on, you know, Firefighter. The Backdraft, to me, just kind of said it all. I think it won several Oscars. Can't remember if it won Best... What was it Best Picture that year? I have to look it up. I know they won about three Oscars. But, anyway, why was Backdraft a 10, Puka Fresh? Well, because it's, it's it's the benchmark. I mean, you're not gonna
1: you're not gonna ever beat Backdraft just because it was the quintessential fire movie. It catches it catches like firefighting at its at its turn. That's back before they put on turnout bottoms, so they have like the long boots in it. So they, like firefighters would go in with like a long jacket, jeans, and then they would have like uh, these they would like these boots with like these high cuffs on them that you would pull up. Um, It's based in Chicago. Uh, The cast doesn't get any better. Um, It has chintzy Hollywood stuff in it for sure. You know, like the storyline and everything's a little a little overdone. But like what it did, what it did to try and just uh, give give I think like some it it just it just gave gave some tremendous credibility to the profession. So like I I don't think it could ever be top um it has it has just some good genuine moments in it i don't know you can't you can't the the fire effects that they do in it how they fight fire in it if i'm like gonna i'm gonna talk about like science and what they're doing there no it's like hollywood but uh it's fantastic it's a great movie and it's got kurt russell how do you how do you talk kurt russell
0: right and so many fantastic De Niro Donald Sutherland anyways great movie great acting I believe it went. Uh, <laughs> Got Glenn the- yeah Scott Glenn. Ron Howard <laughs> don't want to spoil it but that is definitely yeah. one of my favorites I saw it in the theater it's a very sentimental movie to me I would agree that's a 10 or an 11 um, the other one I want to talk about is you gave only the brave a seven, and then you gave Ladder forty nine an eight. What are the differences, and why why the difference? Why aren't they both eights, or why isn't both sevens? Except, you know, explain that one.
1: Uh, well, Ladder forty nine, I thought was uh, it, it was a little little bit of a cheesy movie for me um, on some aspects, but I thought they did a really good job. Joaquin Phoenix's character does a really good job of just being like the young, eager firefighter. It kind of shows him going through his career and uh, I thought it did a really nice job of showing like the firehouse and uh, and it really captured some really good moments in it. So it, like for me it was it was a really good movie on that aspect. And it's one I should probably re-watch. I haven't seen it for like six, seven years.
0: Yeah, I never sat down and actually watched that movie. It was unfortunately always on while I was reading something else or you know, not focused on it. So I really wish I kind of watched that. I might actually watch that later tonight just to kind of give it its just due. Same thing with Only the Brave. I heard that was based on the true story, right? That happened in California based on the wildfire. Why was that a seven? No. No, it's a Grand Mountain. They were in uh, they were in Arizona. So that was
1: a. Uh, uh, oh, okay. That's that, was, uh, uh, that was out near uh, Prescott, Arizona. So uh, it. it uh, I, I thought they did it, what they did in that movie really well. Was the uh, like they showed like the crews and the buggies and kind of the the camaraderie and going on fires and the summer I spent on like a wildland fire crew, you get to know those people in a in a um, in a way that you don't get to know. I, you know, probably it's probably the closest experience that I'll have to like being in. Um, in the military and being like it you know like entrenched with the with the um with a squadron of people or like having having a uh, having having a group of people where you're actually like those guys who are out those forward operating bases in afghanistan you know they're 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 kind of deep in the shit and it's and it's um it, there's something that happens for people and they bond in that when you're on a wildland fire crew especially one that's um what they were chasing, they were—I think they were like a, a type two initial attack—and they were chasing like their hotshot status. So they were temporary hotshot status that year, and they were getting signed off on it, um, or they had just finished getting signed off on. It. I'm not 100% sure what the what their what their status was at the time of the tragedy, but uh, but they those guys were running and they were going from fire to fire. So you'd be like especially out in Arizona, they're gonna be on all the Midwest fires from there to like Montana. And they're they're out cutting line and not sleeping. Uh, you work, you work uh, usually uh, it's either a, tw- it's a schedule of 12 hours on, 12 hours off, or 24 hours on, 24 hours off. That's in an ideal environment. When it comes to the hand crews, um, you get worked even harder than that. Like I worked, what I worked, uh, 16-hour days with eight-hour rest cycles, um, but the 16-hour days oftentimes were like 18-hour days, and by the time you got to sleep, it was probably, you know, you were running on like maybe four hours of sleep and like extremely strenuous work. The group, the group camaraderie that comes out of that is like, uh, it's great, and you have some really good actors in there that I thought did a good job of like kind of showing that, that back and forth, the playing around in the buggies, and the friendship that they like they all kind of. Uh, forged together and everything, that, that was good. Um, I, I think maybe, maybe for me on that fire, I, I just, uh, I don't, like, I know a little too much about it. So, like, as I was watching it, I, it just, like, the way they Hollywooded it, um, I wasn't happy with. Um, I don't think it was something to even do a, a movie on, personally. But um, I think that's the other aspect of it. So maybe it's just me being a little... Uh, a little critical or or pretentious on it Uh, there's a lot I mean they glorified they glorified a character in it that's uh, the the characters in it were flawed and unfortunately the movie the movie did what movies do they tried to show the best sides and the most entertaining you know so uh, but yeah so maybe that's why I rank it down a little um and uh yeah wildland firefighting has really exciting aspects to it and then a lot of it is is the equivalent of um, gardening like you're just you're cutting you're like it's straight up sweaty hard work you're grubbing out you're taking down like any kind of terrain that you're going through down to mineral soil so if it's a bush in front of you you cut the bush out with a chainsaw and then someone comes in behind it with a grub tool and they knock out the the root of it and someone else comes behind that and tries to clean up a bunch more you're cleaning these swaps out that like get basically fire breaks so uh it's hard grueling like time consuming uh pressured work because oftentimes you're doing it on a fire front um so it's it's uh to me it's nothing to glorify it's just something that 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 happens and if they wanted to show it real they should have shown it real <laughs> but but I think I'm being a little, I think I'm being a little hard on the movie. It, it did a good job of trying to memorialize the people who, who died in that fire. I think it was a crew of 19 that died, with one survivor, and that's um, that's uh, that, that's something that's a tragedy. And I, what it also did is it brought, I think, some awareness to the wildland firefighting aspect of things, which is really important. Um, and it's really important that the public kind of understands that, like. Like we're when when California is burning, when Montana is burning, when Colorado is burning, like those things are happening. Uh, you have you have you have thousands of people sometimes on the ground uh, moving resources across the state, trying to figure out how they're going to prioritize which fire to put out, where to put it out. Uh, they're triaging and trying to figure out where to let it burn. Um, and again, it comes down to those like you know a lot of it you're making decisions not necessarily the perfect decision just decision and uh and then you have to deal with everything that comes after that decision well i guess i made that a little heavier than i needed
0: no well said it kind of it wasn't yeah for a while there was it really about the movie scott um you had your little monologue I, i appreciate that Let's talk a little bit about how we met. Obviously, uh, you had kind of mentioned earlier. You know, we met in at West Valley College. We we're theater geeks. And how did we get from theater to vastly different? And this is—I'm not—I don't want to talk about myself, but you. How did you go from theater, and how did does theater help you? You know, you when you go into different situations. I mean, if it's a, even if it's a domestic violence call, or sometimes you're you're there first, right? So. Does theater help you? Did it help you? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I did much at theater when I was there, along with all the other classes I took. Um, you know, I I did, I did like one year of theater with West Valley, and it was a way to fill credits in at the time, um, and uh, it was it was fun, and. Uh, I, I don't know that that plays much into what I do now. Um, maybe, maybe my elocution is better. I, I don't know, uh, but uh, <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Those classes were, those classes were good. I think like, like uh, Ginger was always like an entertaining person to work with in theater. Uh, I like taking, I like the class I took from her. Um, and and doing plays was just kind of fun uh
0: it, yeah it was know, more shits and giggles and that's kind of how really yeah tough. it wasn't but something it
1: was, but it was social it was that was social for me that was like people to hang out with exactly was like i wasn't was, i wasn't in love with the theater right i couldn't memorize lines save for life and i wasn't i wasn't an actor so it didn't right. really like nothing really uh there i mean most of the most of the work i did was either working in the shop or doing the lights yeah. and stuff, so.
0: That stuff interests me far more than acting anyways. But with that said, you know, we had that that particular group. What kind of uh, music? Remember, I was just thinking, like, cleaning out my storage storage areas. I'm consolidating. And then I found this mystery box of CDs the other day in the garage that I completely felt like a time capsule because it's just been sitting there. What music would you say defined our era? Yeah, our era. Uh, I have
1: tough. I have tough time remembering back to stuff. I mean, like if you played, if you played like a Green Day album or, uh, or um, you know what? Are right, you
0: there, Maggie? hey back on with puka fresh how you doing bud yeah i don't know what's going on with my hey no worries man i mean the fact the fact that we're talking on a friday night i mean when does this ever get to happen like when was the last time we ever ever get to have a real conversation it's kind of it's kind of great and kind of a blessing and uh basically what you were saying you know, when we left off was just kind of, you know, being a firefighter and talking about everything from being okay with therapy and then the mental health, which uh, a lot of our listeners are always focused on is kind of like, how do you stay sane? And what are some things that you could recommend on a very kind of maybe daily simplified level for our audience? What do you do to just calm yourself? Um, and and, And there's a caveat to this. Earlier, you described uh, several situations where you were wearing a lot of protective equipment and you were going into very hot, hot uh, environments. Uh, basically, you know, like a backdraft scene where, you know, you're breathing your compressed air. How did you survive? How do you keep mentally calm? And and just kind of explain, like, what are some things, like some real real life things that people can do to kind of stay calm, mentally focused, uh, I know it's a broad brush, but you know, how, how do you per- personally do it? Uh, well, I think, I think like,
1: I mean, I'm, not, I'm not by any means perfect at it, uh, but the things you do to try and prepare, like on the physical side, you have to like make sure you're taking care of your body. So for me, I run. And I, when I run, I, I'll run for like an hour and yeah, I'll go trail running, where it's a little meditative, but it's also engaging because you're, you know, you got to watch where you're landing your feet, and so there's some there's some focus to it. Works your cardio. Um, that that I think is like a beneficial thing to me because when I do go uh, when I do go with an air pack on, I'm I'm, I'm not at all worried about running out of air. Um, I have excellent air management, it's never been an issue for me. Um, Part of that is I just get to stay nice and calm Uh, and then I think that's also practice with the with the equipment you have so you know if you if you've been to a place and done something it's a lot easier and more familiar so the more you prep and practice the situation the sharper you're going to be when that situation arises so uh, putting on a putting on an air mask and going into a fire. I've trained and I've practiced and repped that a bunch of times. So it's a shocking thing for me. I'm more mentally be focused on getting the steps down that are necessary to be successful in what I'm trying to accomplish. So I think I think really it comes down to preparation, and then uh, on the mental side, you know, doing doing mental walkthroughs to get ready for something or um, or just taking time to calm your mind through like meditation and sitting and giving, giving. I think we're, we're all these days, you know, a mile a minute in our heads, our phones are always going off. There's so much stimulus around, you know, even just five minutes of meditation in the morning makes a huge difference. So taking that time to do, Things that are going to mentally feed you, you need to do those things as well. I think it's like kind of, you know, intellectually you have to prepare, and then, uh, you know, spiritually you have to, you know, be somewhat in touch with what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, And then, uh, then yeah, on the on the the physical side of things, you need to you make sure you're going to be able to go in and do what what you set out to accomplish. So I mean. If you want to win in, in a structure fire, uh, you need to make sure you're prepared physically to do so. So uh, there's a lot, there's a lot we do. We put around 65, 70 pounds of stuff on when we go into that situation. So being ready to do that is super important. Uh, that comes down to cardio and eating well.
0: So what about the, the physical part is tough for a lot of people. I mean, obviously we can talk about the fact that if you can't run, at least get out there, get some fresh air, and start walking. And and we're not we're not going to insult the audience by by presuming that that they don't already know that. What about the mental stuff, like uh, the five minutes of meditation you talked about? Is that enough? Do you think for most people? And if it is, can you be specific about what they should do to meditate? Because a lot of people just don't know. Does they? Say, what does that mean? I close my eyes. I. I hum for an hour. What exactly does that mean? Um, hold on a second. Um, can you ask that question again, Mike? What exactly does meditation mean to you? Yeah,
1: meditation means to me is just, just kind of quieting everything uh, and being aware of just exactly where you are in that moment right now like that that's all meditation is for me that's the that that's as i learned it is uh you know they, they people talk about tenants and all the things that they uh focus on the 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 nuts and bolts of meditation for me are just um uh, becoming becoming uh, uh acutely aware of the moment that you're in and not losing sight of that in that moment um uh, so it really is just kind of quieting everything and being just 100% present. You I love it. Observe yourself, looking <laughs> outside, seeing yourself where where you are. Uh, it's not really goal cool setting for me. It's not really uh, anything other than just simply sitting and um, and being content with that sitting, not needing to go anywhere, not having any impulses that you need to fill. Like just simply sitting. Um, that's, that's, pretty much all it is for me. Um, I've done, uh, I did a 14 day, uh, meditation retreat where we woke up at 4am in the morning, went to bed at, uh, at 10 at night and you just meditated all day. Yeah. You had, yeah. You had three meals and you meditated. Knows it. Uh, and that was, there wasn't any, any crazy revelation that came out of it. Um, I, I just simply got away from all stimulus and everything that was distracting me from just self-awareness.
0: So that helped you align with what you needed to do. So you obviously have a clear focus. If you had to name just the three top focuses off the top of your head for you in the next, let's say several years, what would those be?
1: So the three, say that again, the three things to focus on.
0: The three things you would say are your personal top focuses over the next several years.
1: Oh, for me, uh, that, that's that's pretty, pretty basic. Uh, you know, I, uh, I, my family is, is, is number one. Um, and then uh, kind of the, the, that, that comes, the only thing that comes second to is uh, is really mental physical uh, for myself because I know if I don't take care of that I won't be able to take care of them um, so that, that's about the only thing that, that I try not to compromise um, other than family so it's mental mental physical and then uh, and then family. And then and then basically what what feeds what feeds all that so that, that's work you know um and whatever that whatever that work is you know i I, uh, I i i like my job i love i love going to work and i love uh serving and, but uh, i mean we, we we were just talking about it earlier uh, you know if i didn't have to show up to work i, I wouldn't be upset about it uh but I, w- I would be upset about not being able to, you know, have health care or, you know, pay for food or keep a house, you know, with the electric on and the, and the gas running. So, uh, those are kind of like, when it comes to focus, those are the things, you know, um, that's what I would say.
0: Well said. So, you, you know, very well balanced, I think very well put as far as like what you want and an expression of who you are as the firefighter and, you know, as we as we come up, you know, at the top of the hour, I just kind of want to know, like, what are your feelings and thoughts for the future? Um, obviously, I, you're not always going to be the best prognosticator, but as far as, let's say, focusing on how we're coming out of COVID as a, as a group, what do you see happening over the next year? And do you see it getting back to the, the point of uh, without saying the word normal? The point of where we can just rock concerts outdoors again and not have to worry. Obviously, there's a lot of public psyche that's going to take take place and a lot of nerves. What are your thoughts on the matter?
1: Just on where we're headed with COVID in general? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, again, it, 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 it's complex, but uh, at the same time, it's I'm a little optimistic that we've gotten a lot of vaccinations done, Um, and I'm I'm hopeful that we'll just continue to get everyone and anyone vaccinated uh, that we can, because the closer we can get to that 100% mark, the the safer we're going to be.
0: And let's Uh, let's talk about that real quickly, because you and I get philosophical all the time when we're you know having a cup of coffee together. But specifically, you and I agree that we are definitely pro-vaccination. We're both fully vaccinated. But there are a few out there that are the naysayers still, and it it boggles my mind. What could we say? Because we have a pretty eclectic group of friends. What would we tell our nearest and dearest loved ones? What could we say to them when they're so kind of dead set or even fearful of what, what could possibly happen with a bad vaccination?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's a matter of, you know, the numbers on a bad vaccination versus um, the numbers on uh, contracting COVID and having an adverse reaction to it. Just put them next to each other. It's a logical choice. Um, I, I, I I work alongside people who have had COVID that are healthy um, Healthy adult males that, that spend probably an hour to an hour and a half of time every day towards fitness and eat healthy, and uh, and they they have told me that they felt like they were going to die. Um, they couldn't get breath, um, and they're they they survived and they're fine. Uh, there is one person from previous place I worked, who still has yet to come back to work in six months um, because of adverse effects. Um, so they're, they're having clotting issues. So I, I, I don't, I don't know the number of people who have had vaccines that had clotting issues. I, I believe there's been one, one male who had questionable health, uh, he was not, he was not a healthy man. When you looked at a picture of him, I don't know anything about, I don't know anything about, uh, you know, his personal history or anything, but, um, I would guess he had a high stress life. Uh, he had a lot of kids, uh, and I have one kid, so I can only make an assumption that you can take that stress and, you know, multiply it over every time you have one. So, um, but, but the, uh, the other people who had clots had, uh, had other issues potentially that, that precipitated those. So, not that that's excusing. You know, they rushed back heat to the market. And they knew there'd be some people that died. But when you're vaccinating millions upon millions and millions of people, you're you're going to have adverse reactions. You're potentially going to have some deaths in those, just like they did when they were, you know, doing all the other vaccinations through the last, you know, you know, 150 years. Um, that have all, all but eradicated the things that they vaccinate. So, or, or have kept at bay. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's just a matter of like have them look at the numbers instead of listen to their, you know, read their Facebook feed or whatever they're getting their information from. Um, you know, most, most of the news sources we call news, are really opinion. They're opinion sources. They're not, they're not news. Um, so I, I don't know. I would just say look at look at the facts and the CDC puts out that information that's pretty pretty accurate and it's based on science and I trust that even a little more now that they've had a little bit of a a change in that. It seems like they're getting the the money that they need and the support they need from you know the, the rest of the government. Even though I think they're getting caught you know a little on the on the congressional side of things, but. There, yeah. they're, uh, they're, I, think, I think there's just good information out there. People should listen to it
0: and they should look exactly. at it. Exactly. Pay attention but. to the facts. And, you know, I, I see a lot of memes and different, you know, uh, things that I get sent to me. At the end of the line, at, at the bottom, bo- okay, here's the bottom line. Why haven't we heard about measles or polio? Simple, right? Yeah. Exactly. Vaccines. Yeah. It works. So you and I, I think, are on the yeah. same page. Please, people, get vaccinated. Um, Puka Fresh and I both had the Moderna vaccines where we got one shot, and then then I think it was a month later we got the second shot. Yeah, our arms were a little bit sore, just like a normal flu shot. But, you know, I didn't pay attention to it. I I forgot the band-aid was on there like two days later. Not that I never showered or anything, but the fact is it just, it it was a flu shot. And to me, that's nothing compared to, uh, I hate to put it this way but saving the word the universe saving the world would you agree book of fresh yeah sure sure (laughs) the other i mean the
1: other the other thing that i think people have to like just look at as a reality is that um vaccination passports are coming in some kind of shape or form um like people are gonna have to get vaccinated if they want to go live a, a quote unquote normal
0: life right Um, isn't it true I don't know didn't Disneyland that just opened today after 400 days um, and more power to them I'm glad things are finally opening up but you know they literally required I think uh, proof of vaccination and or a a negative COVID test within 24 hours do you know anything about that Uh, I think it's like the the plane flight thing so like if you want to go to Hawaii
1: you have to like you have to within the last uh, 72 hours have a clear COVID test um, and Hawaii is like one of the best managed states when it comes
0: to uh, keeping COVID under control. Hawaii is fantastic the Oh, agree. Right now. Even before uh, Hawaii, when I was there, about ten years ago, it was just amazing. Uh, they they don't want anything, you know, uh, insects. You know, you might have a flu that you know you're bringing into the in, into their island. It's like go fuck yourself. They don't want to They don't want to deal with that. So, with that said, would you agree? What's the new? The new uh, norm. Uh, you talked a little bit about the uh, vaccine passports. Could you elaborate? Yeah, when you got your when you got your vaccine, you got a CDC vaccine card, right? Yep.
1: And then you had to bring that back, and they they put them on it, right? Yeah.
0: Is that going to be you the new card? Like people, letting you, if it one we back, you know, open back. You know, you're gonna meet someone in a singles bar and go, "Oh, have you been vaccinated?" Oh, fuck AIDS! I don't give a shit. Are you vaccinated? Is that the new norm? Is that the new Sex in the City? I don't know. I never watched that show, by the way, but I figured you might know. <laughs> so I think, I think like the the when they
1: talk about the concept of a passport, you're like you're talking about with Disneyland. Uh, if you want to go to a Giants game, you have to show proof of vaccine um, or a negative test, uh, like like you need to to and I think that's I think that's probably where where we're headed, especially when you see like uh, in India right now. There's there's a there's a, a tremendously terrible outbreak happening where there's uh, I mean they're burning bodies and big tires and stuff, and it's like it's it's uh, it's super concerning. But that that's a variant that's that's super contagious right now. And now you can't go to India if you're from the U.S. and you can't come here from India if. You know, into the U.S. for right now. Um, I think they, I think they did that today or, or yesterday. But I mean, those are all those are all realities that we're heading towards until you know certain countries get it all taken care of. And then for you to go from one country to another, you're gonna have to prove to them that you're not you're not carrying something. And they're just like just like if you want to bring an apple into America, they're gonna inspect it. <laughs> you know, okay. it's like like we're unfortunately. We're, we're unfortunately in a, in a in a time where like we have to we have to draw some lines on personal freedoms to ensure that we're we're uh, we're protecting the, the greater good of everyone, and that's that's some simple stuff with a vaccine. Uh,
0: it's science. It's not. It's not a. It's not politics. Yeah, so, so we can talk about how to it's, help it's, in a, in a broader scale, but scientifically and, and biologically, what exactly, why did India, you know, it's, it's in the news almost every night now, and, I, and I'm a little bit slow to the 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 process here because I, you know, stayed away from television, but now that I'm getting caught up, I see it, it's like everything on TV seems to talk about India. Why did it magnify and intensify so quickly, Book of Fresh? Oh, I
1: have no idea. I, I, haven't, I haven't read enough about it. All I've seen is like, the just that their outbreak numbers are are uh, scary and they don't have an infrastructure to support it i mean i i think that's a lesson in infrastructure as well like even though like when it came into the u.s the big problem for the u.s wasn't necessarily beds it was uh, it was quality of care and the ability for providers to give that so we don't have most, most hospitals run lean, so they don't, like an empty bed is a bed not making money and most of your hospitals run off profit margin. So here, it wasn't a matter of of infrastructure, being able to support it. It was just a matter of, okay, well, we don't have, we don't have that many nurses. We don't have that many uh, EMTs. We don't have that many doctors to throw at the care that each individual that gets to a hospitalized level is going to need to live, and that's what ended up happening in New York. They got log jammed. It wasn't about like sending a uh, a boat there with beds. That was all politics. Uh, that was that was just that was just show. You know, they they send a big boat there with a bunch of beds and say, "Hey, look what the federal government's doing for you." They solving any problems. What they needed to do is they needed to send doctors nurses and and people that could help provide the care and then at the time they they needed ventilators because they didn't know how to treat it. And that was that was when someone when someone stops being able to breathe on their own and their lungs are shutting down, you go down a cascade of of care to try and fix that. So you start with a mask with oxygen and then you start pushing the oxygen in. And that so they were, they were just trying to figure it out at the time. So ventilators were the, at, at the time, with the little they knew. they thought they were doing the numbers and they're like, well, if we're treating everyone with ventilators like we're doing right now across the country, we're going to need ventilators. We're going to need this many ventilators. This is crazy. You know, so, um, and then they found better ways to treat it. You know, as they saw more samples, they were able to try different things and see different ways to get it nicked. Get it which is what i would call uh i mean when you look at when you look at what like like the trump treatment right so like trump trump goes into the hospital and he gets he gets the creme de la creme of treatment right he has antibodies he gets something only like 200 other people have had at the time like he gets everything thrown at it and then he walks out and takes the mask off says this thing's not that big of a deal you know it's like yeah it's like well yeah in this moment like for you it's not that big of a deal but they can't do what they just even at that time it's like they can't do what they just did for you for the public <laughs> so it's like, wow.
0: and now we're,
1: now we're at a turning now we're hitting a turning point where they have that that's the infrastructure they had here in the u.s you look at india india is trying to figure out how to give people oxygen right now so that's a completely different beast and a completely different problem um, so they're having it hit and they're just trying to find oxygen to help these people bridge you know through the the worst couple of days and they probably have a decent amount of medicine or some of the pills that are that are helping people fight it off when they get to certain stages but um, but it's a little different of an animal there and i don't think we're in a situation in the u.s unless a a crazy variant comes along that's even, you know, worse than the first wave that we saw, you know, that has way worse symptoms, it's more viral and it hits greater large volume, you know, greater sections of the population. Um, so if you get a huge mutation on it, that turns a page on that where they're, they're back at square one and trying, trying, to turn to, trying to figure out how to treat it. I, I, don't, I don't foresee that happening when you look at the science on it. So it's possible, but it's not likely. Uh, whereas India
0: India just straight doesn't have infrastructure like those yeah. people are those people are like it's like and we don't like, necessarily get uh, I agree and, and, and it's hard for us right because we, we're one world one purpose and we want to help each other but for for our own community i ask the people to get vaccinated uh Puka Fresh, can you explain? And I know you know this part. Explain how herd immunity works for for the the for me, the common person. Uh, well, I mean, I'm not like a
1: virologist, so it's probably not the best person to explain it. But I mean, you had you had uh, I think the the real the real world. Uh, the real world example is disneyland I, I i don't know how long ago it was it was like you know five six years ago maybe longer than that but um you had a measles outbreak at disneyland and that that was because you had enough enough people not getting vaccinated because of the anti-vaccination movement that had been building you know from the jenny mccarthy days right it, it generated enough people who wait to get vaccinations or don't vaccinate their kids because they make the false connection that it could make them autistic. Um, they, they, they got enough of the population that didn't have the measles vaccine that now it could spread. And vaccinations don't... It's, you don't just get a vaccination and then you... Uh, and, and then you... And then you're immune to whatever you vaccinated against. It's it's only, I mean, I think most vaccinations range from like like the really good ones are like 85% effective. So like 85 people out of 100 will be immune to whatever they vaccinated against. And then 15 other people will get the vaccination and they'll still be susceptible to like the the measles. But what what keeps that person safe is that 85% of the population, everyone got the measles vaccination. So really only 15% of the population is rolling around and able to spread the measles. So if I'm in that 15% and you're in the in the, uh, the 85%, I come in contact with measles, and then, and uh, or you come in contact with measles, you're 85% immune to it, your body just kicks it out and kills it. And then when you come in contact with me, you don't have it to spread. So it's just a numbers game of, of you know, making sure that it's getting squashed when it's in the little human petri dishes that it jumps from. So you just basically cut down the petri dishes for the thing to jump from when you have that, that vaccination at that 100% level in the population. Which it's silly to me. It cracks me up that people talk about personal freedoms and everything. But the reality is, is if you want to keep your kid from getting the measles or polio, you get them a vaccination. If you hold off on that, you're endangering your child. And I, I, think, it's, I think it's to that level where it should be viewed at like a child protective services level, personally, just because you're basing your decision-making off of nonsense. <laughs> you have no you have no reality that you're standing on other than blogs and people
0: writing anecdotal stuff,
1: which is just reprehensible, in, in my
0: opinion. But, so then you um, get in, involved with the church and state aspect, right? Does a parent have the right to say, I'm sorry, I don't believe in your science. Is that a, is that a
1: right? Yeah, of por- yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, people do have that right. Um, if I show up, if I show up as a medical provider, um, which is this is crazy to me, but if I show up as a medical provider um, and I have uh, a, a a parent with their child, and they're the legal parent, and their child's falling off their bike and they have an open femur fracture that's bleeding with their bone broken. And that person says, "Don't touch my, don't touch my child." I do not believe in medicine or science. I have no legal right to help that child. I can try and convince that parent. I can try and explain to them. But until until that parent grants me permission, I have to sit there and watch that child bleed to death. That situation won't happen. I don't believe, but uh, these days. Makes me question that, you know, with what people believe and want to do. But
0: yeah, it's just a You know what, Mikey?
1: I'm gonna have to uh, I, I gotta I gotta get to bed. So um we can oh. we can continue this another time. Fantastic, oh, you're yeah. home.
0: All right. Love you, buddy. I made it. <laughs> All right. I right, see you Mikey. Take care.